0: Welcome to Every Plant Deserves a Podcast. I'm Stacy Hervella, and this is Episode 1, Hydrangea Paniculata. Before we dive in, if you want to get a look at Hydrangea Paniculata so you have an image in your head of the plant that we're talking about, just go to our website, mypwcolorchoices.com, and click on Podcast. We'll have a link there to the episode, and you'll be able to see pictures and get all of this information in one tidy place. Now, Starting a podcast, you know, your first episode is definitely one that you're going to need to establish really what your podcast is about. It needs to be important, and kind of needs to state your entire raison d'être. And uh, for us, we picked hydrangea paniculata for several reasons that I will detail in the podcast. But it has been a big part of how we built the Proven Winners Color Choice brand. And like I said, I promise not to be too commercial, but you do need to understand why we are starting with this very interesting plant. So we're going to start at the beginning, and that is the plant's name. Hydrangea paniculata is the scientific name. It's also known as panicle hydrangea, hardy hydrangea and sometimes PG hydrangea and we'll discuss that a little bit later in the podcast. Hydrangea paniculata is a member of the hydrangea family, hydrangeaceae. It was formerly in the saxifragaceae family and that is a family that includes some other plants that you might know like heuchera but it was uh, about 20 years ago moved to its own family the hydrangeaceae, along with philadelphus also known as mock orange and dutzia, two other flowering shrubs that you will find in our white containers at the local gardens center. So Hydrangea paniculata is a flowering shrub, that means it is a woody plant. It has woody stems that persist above the ground all year long. If you were to cut open a stem, you will see concentric rings just like you would see with a tree. That's part of what makes it a woody plant. And it's a relatively nondescript plant except for when it flowers in the summer. And at that point, it is positively covered in huge cone-shaped blooms that resemble ice cream cones or even footballs in about a similar size. It's these flowers, technically inflorescences, that give the plant the paniculata part of its name as they're arranged in panicles. So what's a panicle? Remember when you were a kid and you'd play that game where you would take a grass flower and ask your friend if it was a tree or a bush? That shape of that grass flower, that is a panicle. It basically means a many-branched inflorescence. The flowers of this hydrangea are similarly arranged. Not all hydrangea inflorescences are panicle-shaped. So the flowers of most panicle hydrangeas, especially in the wild, they start out white and they're going to maintain that color for several weeks before they turn some shade of pink or red as the nights start to get shorter towards autumn. Hydrangea paniculata is probably not the hydrangea that comes to mind for most people when they picture a hydrangea. That would be hydrangea macrophylla and that's the one that gets those big round pink or blue or purple flowers and we will certainly do a show on Hydrangea macrophylla at some point, but we're kicking off our podcast with Hydrangea paniculata for a couple of reasons. One, because it's one of our plants that really transforms the way people look at and use the plant. We'll talk more about that in the second segment. The second reason is that it is one of the most ubiquitous landscape plants in North America. It grows in really, really cold climates as well as quite warm ones. So basically, if you think about a map of the U.S. and Canada going all the way into the northern parts of Canada and all the way down into central Florida, that is essentially the range that can grow Hydrangea paniculata. And it's this ubiquity that really speaks to the reason that we're doing Every Plant Deserves a Podcast to create the context for the plants that are around us every day Whether they're growing wild or planted outdoors in a garden or landscape, in the grocery store as food or as clothing, shelter, medicine, so that everyone gets a better understanding and more appreciation for the plants that we encounter every single day. If you wanted to find hydrangea paniculata in the wild, you'd have to go to southern or eastern China, Taiwan, or Japan. It's also found on Sakhalin Island, a narrow island to the north of Japan that's actually part of Russia. So it's found over a pretty significantly wide geographical range, including some quite isolated islands. And it's found in regions with pretty dramatic differences in climate. The southeastern part of China is subtropical, with an average winter temperature of 7 to 10 degrees Celsius, around 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Whereas northern Japan and Sakhalin Island often see many, many days well below freezing and typically get really heavy snow cover. As far as where in those regions you might find it, it's mostly growing in wooded areas, around the edges of forests, and on the sides of and tops of mountains. And that's pretty typical for a shrub. If you were to come across a panicle hydrangea in nature, it wouldn't look anything like the ice cream cones we described at the beginning of the podcast. Like all hydrangeas in nature, its flowers are what we'd call lace cap in horticulture. In other words, made up primarily of tiny, star-like, fertile florets that aren't very showy, but are capable of reproduction. And then just a few more showy, papery, sterile florets around the edge to get the attention of pollinating insects. The big mop head flowers that characterize the vast majority of panicle hydrangeas that have been developed by humans, there's only a genetic disadvantage to having that flower type from an evolutionary standpoint. So in nature, the flowers are all about that pollination and reproduction and end up being lace caps. Should you find yourself hiking along a mountainside in southeastern China some summer day, Look for smaller, sparser, more open flowers than what you would normally associate with this plant or what you're seeing on our website. Hydrangeas are, in nature, pollinated by several different flying insects, but they're especially favored by flies. Now, this creeps people out, but it's totally natural, and the flies will go away once the nectar in the flowers start to dry up. That usually only takes about one or two weeks, depending on the weather. The florets eventually develop into hard, dried seed heads, and it's those seed heads that actually give the genus Hydrangea its name because apparently they resemble a Greek water-carrying vessel, so hydro for the water-carrying and agros for the vessel. A lot of people think hydrangea comes from hydrangea's water needs, but it is actually related to the shape of those seeds. Moving into part two, we're going to talk about hydrangea paniculata in human culture. So though a plant with such obvious ornamental value would definitely have made its way westward at some point, Hydrangea paniculata's journey starts with one Dr. Philip Franz von Siebold, a German physician. This podcast is not about plant explorers. That would be a fascinating podcast, but not one I have the time to research. But I tell you, when it comes to von Siebold, he is going to keep popping up. He's a fascinating figure. I'm just going to barely touched the surface of what he did and why he did it and how he did it. But I highly encourage you to look uh, more into him, do some research. Really a very, very interesting story. So he was sent to Nagasaki in Japan in 1823 at the age of 27. Now, Japan was notoriously insular at this point, really unfriendly to foreigners. Barely anyone was any outsiders were allowed in. Uh, In fact, Dutch were the only foreigners that were allowed to even set foot in Japan. Von Siebold, being German, was initially viewed with skepticism by the Japanese translators when he arrived, as they could tell he wasn't Dutch. They did eventually allow him to settle in Dejima. And Dejima was an area of Nagasaki that was uh, an artificial island. So it was separated from the mainland or, or island of Japan by this artificial canal. And it was built entirely to house the foreigners that were interested in coming to Japan. So when Von Siebold arrived, he was limited just to being in Dejima, and he soon set up a clinic for treating eye problems. One of the reasons that von Siebold wanted to go into Japan was besides his medical expertise and the services he could offer in that department, he was also really, really interested in learning more about plants and animals in Japan. In his eye clinic, he treated some very important military and government personnel and gradually got permission to leave Dejima, one of the first people to actually be able to do that. And when he did, he started to collect seed and specimens of plants that he saw on his travels, and he sent those back to the Netherlands. In the six years that he lived in Japan, he sent three major shipments to the Netherlands and Belgium of plants and animals that he collected in Japan. These included lots of hydrangeas, including the first known description of Hydrangea paniculata. And as a side note, because I just could not resist in throwing this in, One of his shipments also included the first specimen of Japanese giant salamanders. They were shipped live. One of the giant salamanders that he shipped survived the journey and continued to live in Belgium for another 50 years where it was put on display and was the first time such an animal had been seen by Europeans. Now, von Siebold was forced to leave Japan in 1829. It's a sordid story. I recommend that you read it. Again, very fascinating. He was under suspicion of spying and was forced to return to the Netherlands in 1830 and never uh, was able to return to Japan again. So like I said, we will definitely be talking about Siebold in future podcasts, especially when we do a show on hydrangea macrophylla or big leaf hydrangea. But in the meantime, it was the plants that he sent to Ghent in Belgium and Leiden in the Netherlands that were grown and went on to secure panicle hydrangeas in the hearts of Europeans and eventually Americans. And like all things, people couldn't resist tinkering. And the tinkering that plant collectors and plant breeders did eventually brought about the big mophead flowered versions of hydrangea paniculata that dominate the market today. The first mophead version of Hydrangea paniculata that really took the world by storm was a variety called Grandiflora. Grandiflora is Latin, literally translates to big flower. And like I said, it was the first mophead panicle hydrangea. It was introduced in 1862. And for well over a century, Hydrangea paniculata grandiflora was pretty much the only choice for a hardy garden hydrangea. It was so ubiquitous and so closely tied to the genus of hydrangea paniculata that it actually is the reason why the term PG hydrangea is what we use to talk about panicle hydrangeas. The P comes from the paniculata and the G from grandiflora. So PG hydrangea is really just shorthand for hydrangea paniculata grandiflora. And it's one of the reasons that uh, a lot of us in the industry shy away from using the term PG hydrangea because it really does indicate something specific. Now, hydrangea paniculata grandiflora is actually actually still available today. If you want to grow a piece of history, we'll talk about that in segment three. A few additional well-known varieties did start to come out in the 1860s. So Tardeva is another one and unique, but it wasn't really until the early 2000s that the revolution in panicle hydrangeas occurred and that was due to limelight hydrangea. So limelight hydrangea was very popular in Europe when Tim Wood and Dale Deppi from Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs visited Peters Weinenberg's nursery in Boscoop, the Netherlands. So Boscoop is the nursery capital of the Netherlands. The entire town essentially is comprised of nurseries of various sizes. So they were visiting, they went to visit Peters Weinenberg, and they brought limelight back to the U.S., And when they first introduced it, they actually experienced quite a bit of resistance from the US nursery industry. Everyone swore that no one would ever buy a plant with green flowers, but it was a huge hit. And really one of the two plants that launched the Proven Winners Color Choice brand into the mainstream. Growers loved it because it was fast to produce and gardeners loved it because it was unique, beautiful and reliable. It improved on older varieties like Grandiflora in several ways. The flowers were larger and denser, they developed a really beautiful antique dusty rose color in autumn and the stems were strong enough to hold the flowers upright all season. People went crazy for it and now you could hardly drive anywhere in summer without running into one. You can now find a dwarf version, Little Lime, and there's also an improved version we just put out last year, Limelight Prime, which blooms earlier than limelight, keeps its green color longer, and develops the most fabulous fall color you can imagine. In terms of overall usefulness to humans, hydrangea paniculata doesn't offer too, too much beyond its aesthetics. And the aesthetics, of course, are considerable, both in the garden and as a cut flower, which it does very well, both fresh and dried. It's not really used much for um, food or medicine because, like most hydrangeas, hydrangea paniculata is toxic at some level. It contains a hefty dose of cyanic glycosides, which can cause heart problems. It's definitely not the most toxic plant, but there's nothing particularly edible about it either. In researching this particular episode, I did discover something that I did not know about it at all, and that is is that it has been traditionally used in papermaking in Japan. So not the actual wood fibers themselves of the stems of hydrangea paniculata, but a mucilage or sticky substance that's produced by the plant and is readily extracted by soaking pounded stems in water. And then that mucilage is skimmed off and used as a binding agent for paper. I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, on our website so you can read more about its history in papermaking. So this brings us up to segment three, and that is how do you make hydrangea paniculata a very real part of your life and grow it in your garden? Like I said at the beginning of the show, hydrangea paniculata can be grown almost anywhere in North America, from the northernmost part of Canada, almost through the south of the United States. So the southwest, probably not so great, a little bit too dry, a little bit too hot, But limelight does well as far south as Orlando, Florida. Even in New Orleans, Louisiana, they grow some limelight and Texas. So it's got a huge geographic range. So almost anybody who's listening to this can find one at their local garden center and grow it in their own gardens. It is a very easy and versatile plant to incorporate into your landscape. Very commonly, especially the larger full-size versions, use as a hedge. So you can imagine just a beautiful, dense privacy hedge that's full of those big mophead blooms. It can be used as an eye-catching specimen that anchors a landscape or garden bed. A lot of the more dwarf varieties that have been introduced are perfect for the front of the border, by which I mean you're just planting them on the edge as a a sort of way to neaten that edge and, and create some interest. They can be incorporated into flower gardens. There's really almost no garden role that they can't fill. They're also pretty tolerant of sun versus shade. So we do typically recommend at least some sun each day, so that is to say four hours of good sun through the day. A lot of people think of hydrangeas as shade plants, but hydrangea paniculata is actually the most sun tolerant of all hydrangeas. And that's why we do recommend those those at least four hours. If you grow it in too much shade, you're probably not gonna be super happy with its performance. What's gonna happen is that the stems are going to elongate as they try to stretch and reach more light. That's gonna make them floppy. That's gonna lead to a more sparse and open habit. So it'll be fewer flowers. They won't develop as nice of a color in the fall, so some sun each day really is imperative. Now, a lot of times when people think about hydrangeas, they say, oh, hydrangeas are very finicky about the soil. And that's also not entirely true. And again, here's another area where panicle hydrangeas are the most tolerant and the most versatile. They really don't need a specific soil pH. People think of hydrangeas in general as plants that want acidic soil, but that's not actually true. And panicle hydrangeas can readily thrive in acidic to slightly alkaline soil. So you don't have to worry about that. They can really grow in any type of soil, as long as it is well-drained. And I will tell you, in all of my years helping gardeners grow panicle hydrangeas, the number one way to kill it is wet soil. And that can be overwatering, that can be flooding, that can be from amending the soil. There's a lot of different ways that you can kill a hydrangea by overwatering it. So that's where that good drainage, a soil that never stays wet for very long periods or soggy is really what you're gonna want. Other than that, as long as you can provide that, you don't have to worry too much about your soil at all. So water needs are pretty basic basic, pretty average. There's nothing extraordinary about them. The more sun it gets and the more hot your weather or climate is, the more water the plant will need. And you can mitigate that to some extent with a good two to three inch or five to seven centimeter layer of shredded bark mulch. That makes a huge difference. All hydrangeas are quite shallow rooted and having their roots so close to the soil surface means that they get heat stressed very easily. They lose water very, very quickly. And if your plant starts to get stressed, you're not going to get the best bloom. And performance out of it. So, always recommend a good layer of mulch. And once they're established, you know, they're also the most tolerant of uh, hot and dry conditions. I'm not suggesting that you torture your panicle hydrangea if you try to grow one, but they really are the most forgiving of all types of hydrangea. They're also extremely long-lived. I mean, you can go to gardens around the world and see panicle hydrangeas that are 50, 75 plus years old if you want to keep them that long. So they're a really solid investment in your happiness and landscape, and they're super easy to care for. I know people have this idea that all hydrangeas are finicky, but that's, again, not true. There are certain hydrangeas that are a little bit trickier to grow, but panicle hydrangeas are by far the easiest. The only maintenance, really, that they need is a good pruning in fall when they're completely dormant or late winter or early spring. And the reason that we recommend this pruning, the plant will still grow and flower just fine, even if you never prune it. But the reason that we recommend it is because when you prune the plant back by about one third its total height, what you're doing is cutting it back to thicker, bigger buds that were created earlier in the season, lower down on the plant. The buds at the tippy tops that you're cutting off those were thin and spindly. They were created at the end of the previous season and may not have had time to develop fully. The bigger the buds you cut back to, the thicker and more vigorous the growth that comes from it will be. So by doing this one-third pruning, you make sure that all of the growth for the coming season is going to come from those thicker bigger buds, and those are in turn going to produce a big, thick, vigorous stem that is going to be strong and sturdy and produce a nice sized flower. Again, it's not crucial. If you didn't do it, you don't have to worry about it. Depending on the time that you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking, oh, should I do it? If in doubt, don't worry about it, contact us through our website and we'll be happy to uh, to help you out anytime. If you wanna cut the flowers of your panicle hydrangea, you just wanna go ahead and wait until they're just slightly papery. So not when they're freshly emerged. When they are very freshly emerged like that, they typically will just wilt. So you wanna wait until they've stood on the plant for perhaps two weeks or so, and they just start to feel a little bit papery and dried out, even if you want them fresh, that will really prevent them from wilting. Now, if you wanna dry them, you're gonna wanna cut them when they are at the color stage that you want because the color will not continue to develop in the flowers after they've been cut. So if you're looking for more of the pink red tones that hydrangea paniculata develops towards autumn, you're gonna wanna wait till those are at the color you want. If you want them to be more of the the white tone or the green tone in the case of the lime hydrangeas that we offer, you're gonna wanna cut them closer to that stage. Of course, strip the foliage so that uh, it's not further losing water and then you can enjoy them pretty much indefinitely. A lot of people make wreaths and all sorts of different things out of them. So a really versatile plant. This is our first episode of Every Plant Deserves a Podcast, and I'm really happy to be starting it with a plant that I think anyone can and should grow. So Hydrangea paniculata can be planted pretty much any time from spring to fall. If you are in a cooler or milder climate, planting through summer is okay. If you live in a hot climate, you're probably going to want to stick to spring or fall. And all you need to do is visit your local garden center. They will almost certainly have a great selection. That's all we've got for hydrangea paniculata. Don't forget to visit our website, mypwcolorchoices.com, and click on Podcasts so you can read today's show notes, see photos of the plants we've discussed, and get links for further research on those many, many topics we can't cover in the span of a single podcast episode. You've been listening to Every Plant Deserves a Podcast, brought to you by Proven Winners, Color Choice Shrubs. I'm Stacy Hervella. Our recording, production, and sound design is done by Adriana Robinson, and our cover art is by Shannon Downey. To learn more about us, what we do, and why we do it, visit ProvenWinnersColorChoice.com. You can also contact us there with your own suggestions about which plants we should cover. We hope that you'll find a chance to share a random plant fact with someone today. Thanks for listening.